Welcome to the Team Performax podcast. This is Aaron, your host, and I'm here with Derek, our Vice President. How are you doing today, Derek? Very good, Aaron. Thank you. Cool. So we're going to talk today um, basically about Performax, what makes Performax uh, the brand that we are, um, why we created the company, and kind of what differentiates us you know, from our competition. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a pretty competitive market, sports nutrition. Um, there's a lot of Me Too companies. A lot of people are, in my opinion, you know, kind of create these sports nutrition companies strictly out of a, a monetary uh, benefit. And I think that truly is what makes, you know, Performax a bit different than a lot of the other companies uh, in this space is that um, that wasn't the goal and that's not why we started. But I'll let you, Derek, kind of hop in and kind of give your two cents in terms of, you know, uh, what our brand message is and kind of what makes Performax Performax. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons I even loved coming here in the first place is it is about performing to your max on multiple levels no matter what you're doing. And there's a lot that kind of separates us uh, when it comes to our formulations and just the type of people we involve in our business on the upside all the way down to the consumers. Uh, everybody's bought in in the office and... Um, you know, Aaron, I know you do the best you can at the formulation aspect. And uh, that's one of the major things that set us apart in general is the supplement itself. But the message that, you know, Performax really puts out there is no matter what you're doing, you can do it to your max or to your best. Uh, that goes to our athletes. We have, you know, professional athletes in, you know, different uh, sports, whether it be, you know, bodybuilding, powerlifting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, even down to like our just our main targets, you know, our, our consumers who uh, are also kill at the gym, kill it at work, depending on, you know, you know what they're into. But um, yeah, I would just say that that's one huge part about us is, um, you know, just being top of line, you know, in any, every way. Yeah, and to kind of double down on that point, obviously, uh, with the name of the company being Performax uh, and the tagline "Perform to Your Max," truly, that's why we, you know, created the products that we create, and that's kind of the main goal um, behind the creation of, of these products is to help, um, basically, people push themselves in and out of the gym every single day. Um, now, more than just kind of perform to your max or push yourself in and out of the gym, I think that's a statement that a lot of companies can make. I think a lot of companies can make that statement. Like, who wouldn't make that statement? Like, what company? Like, you know what? We don't make products that really help you put, <laughs> perform to your max. They just taste pretty good. Like, obviously, that would be a statement that a lot of companies can make. Um, but truly, that's why we make product. Now, knowing that that's what a, a statement that a lot of companies can make, we really didn't have to look at what's the true differentiator. And I think the true differentiator between us and a lot of companies is simply just the quality of product and the quality of formulation. So we put our all into making what I would consider some of by far the best formulations on the market today. Um, now, now that we're in this the space that we are where open label uh, is almost a necessity and proprietary blends are kind of shunned upon, um, that's not to say there's not also a lot of other really good formulations on the market because it's kind of come to a point where it's all kind of a me too formulation process. Um, 
to where we have these standards of, a, you know, you have to have three grams of, of beta alanine. You have to have, you know, one gram of aquitine, you know, 500 milligrams of subpar. So overall, you know, while I do say that we do have some of the best, you know, formulations on the market, um, that's not to say that there's not also some other really good formulations on the market too. Um, but I think what differentiates us is, you know, the quality of formulation, bringing innovation to the market, and then the way that it gets done. So if you weren't in the industry, you probably wouldn't know um, how formulations get created. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a business, right? So there's a, an amount of profit that needs to be made, gross profit, um, you know, overhead and bills need to get paid and then you, you're left with your net profit. And um, it's kind of an equation. And so within that, you can kind of reverse engineer where you need to be uh, as a company that's focused on that type of structure. So what happens is a lot of companies basically either, if the owner's not formulating it themselves, that alone already kind of, in my opinion, kind of, or at least not involved in the formulation process, if the owner's not involved in the formulation process, that alone already to me makes it a little questionable, right? Because now um, that owner is gonna be super uh, focused on, on the margin. But the way that it works is generally, let's say it's like a pre-workout. There's going to be a, a number that that product needs to kind of fall within. Let's just use, you know, uh, $15 is the cost of goods for a pre-workout. So a company will say, okay, we need, we're gonna make a pre-workout. And when we make the pre-workout, it has to be $15 or less because we want to sell it to a store for X amount, which allows us to make this margin. And, you know, after all bills are paid, this is the net profit that we're going to make because at the end of the day, it's a business and, you know, they're in it to make money, which, you know, all businesses are at the end of the day, they need to operate. Um, so then they're left within the confines of that cost of $15, let's just say it as an example, and then they have to formulate within that cost. And what that does is it makes the company in some instances have to cut corners, uh, leave out certain ingredients, not be able to use uh, an ingredient uh, at a specific dose because, oh shoot, you know, we're at 17 bucks. We better cut this ingredient out or we better um, lower this dose to be able to hit that mark because at the end of the day, it's all about that net profit. It's all about that margin. Um, and that's not wrong by any means, um, but it's just different than how we, we've done it and how we continue to do it. When we formulate, we're far more focused or actually 1,000% focused on the quality of the product. I'm, I personally don't look at costs at all until the formulation is, is, is basically done. Um, so we will go through the formulation process. We'll go through the testing of a product. We'll go through um, the trial and error. We'll make what we feel is the best product in that category. Uh, and that's the main goal is to make the best product in each individual category. And we've done that pretty damn well. If you look at the awards we've won from pre-workouts to fat burners, to nootropics, to uh, pump formulas. I mean, whether it's Stack Fitness Informant, Fitness Deal News, or Price Plow, or another review website, one of those products is in the top five of every single one of those categories. And several of them are, are number one. Um, but it's not until we get to what we feel that best product uh, we, we got into that best formulation that, that we then start to look at pricing. We then, uh, you know, start to crunch the numbers and see, okay, where did we land? Uh, now that's not to say that 
we're going to formulate a product that costs $40 and then have to sell it to a retailer for X amount. And then the consumer is paying, you know, 150 bucks for a pre-workout. Yeah, obviously that's just not feasible. But if, you know, a pre-workout supposed to cost 15 and ours costs 18, we're not going to start cutting ingredients out or changing the formulation um, for that, for that $18. And now if, as a consumer, that sounds really good. Okay. So I know that I'm going to get a, uh, um, a better product from Performax because cost isn't the issue. The issue is creating the best formulation. But on the flip side, it's actually a smart business move because what happens is a lot of these companies that work within the confines of how much that product should cost so that they can uh, make make the margin that they want to make, if you shortchange that product and that customer doesn't repeat buy, sure, you made the margin that you want to make on that first purchase but you didn't get that second purchase or that third purchase or that fourth purchase. So do you really want to sacrifice the quality of product and save that dollar to stay within the margin that you want to? Or would it not be better to spend that extra dollar, $2, $3, whatever that extra cost is to make the best product possible? Because you know on that one purchase, yeah, you didn't make the margin you want to, but you know that you're gonna have the, re the repeat purchases to make it up over the long term. And if you look at, um, you know, what our return customer rate is, it's like double the industry standard. Um, and that just, again, speaks to the quality of our product and it speaks to how we formulate. We formulate to literally put out the best product on the market. We don't formulate around the cost of the product or the, um, or the, uh, the margin that we'd like to make. And I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people that have businesses that just be like, that sounds stupid. But again, we're doing it for the longevity of the business. We're not doing it for the margin that we make uh, up front. Um, so I think that is a massive, um, a massive differentiator between uh, ways that someone might run the business that are is running it strictly for um, a monetary gain versus those who are trying to build something like us really long term with the end consumer in mind. Yeah, I, I can definitely attest to this because obviously Aaron's the uh, professional at all the formulations, but he's kind enough sometimes to run him across my desk before he uh, moves forward to give him, get my opinion. And um, you look at the, the formulations up front and you're like, wow, this is really stacked. And then you kind of go and look at the cost past that and you're like, it's pushing the envelope, you know, as you would like, he hit, like Aaron mentions, like as a business, but then he'll even be like, you know what, why don't, why, why don't we do this? And it's another step forward. And you're like, wow, well, I mean, sure. If you're really trying to put out the best thing on the market, which he's always done, uh, you know, he, but he's not afraid to do that. And that's obviously for all the users to get the maximum benefits and not feel like they're getting products that have corners cut anywhere. So yeah, I can definitely say that um, we've always gone the extra mile and not been afraid to do it because it's just the right thing to do. And to kind of double back on uh, when we were talking about when Performax started, how we went against the grain and the idea that we launched a what I would consider a well-formulated pre-workout um, with you know efficacious dosing during a time when concentrated uh, formulas were all the rage and the most popular pre-workout um, you know had completely underdosed ingredients just had a really strong stim in DMA with caffeine uh, we were looking at trying to create a much more quality product and again it kind of speaks to um, what we've always been about which is 
not the bottom dollar, but creating what we feel is the best product on the market. And part of that comes from being able to just have a direct connection to the consumer. Um, you know, personally, I got started on the forums back in 2006, you know, before there was a real social media push, let's say. Um, and that was really, really important because that's all the, the forums were. I mean, I think at that time, bodybuilding.com was actually bigger than Reddit. It was actually the largest forum on the Internet because um, obviously a large, a large part of it was the miscellaneous section where, you know, the other trolls and the people that weren't actually talking about uh, supplements per se. But as a whole, bodybuilding.com forums at a, at a certain point in time was larger than Reddit and the largest online forum bar none. Um, so what that meant was, you know, I was interacting and I was myself a consumer. Um, and at that time, you know, I was working for a uh, another brand. I got the opportunity to kind of work on the back end of that brand, work directly with their formulator, um, being able to do some of the, the research and development, um, you know, dig through uh, journals, um, find the studies to, to be able to substantiate claims that they were making. Um, so, you know, I was handed a lot of that busy work. But the point is, is that by being on bodybuilding.com, and then eventually transferring over, and you know, I was on Anabolic Minds too, but eventually, you know, moving from bodybuilding.com to the Anabolic Minds forum, um, that experience allowed me to really understand what the consumer wanted in a product, not like definitely as a whole, but even like on a week to week basis or a month to month basis, like what was hot, what was, what were they looking for? Um, you know, a test booster would come out and then you might hear uh, a certain group of, of, you know, the educated consumer talking about, well, it's missing this ingredient and this ingredient. Okay, well, now I know this is what they're looking for. This is what they'd like to see in a product. And so, when, you know, when Performax started and, and we started putting out product, we definitely had our ears to the ground in terms of what people were asking for and what people wanted um, in their product and, and uh, balancing that also with the science, right? So we can't just go 100% on based on, you know, what the consumer is asking for, that played a massive role, we then had to double down and dive deep into the science to make sure what they're asking for even made sense. And it was, um, you know, feasible. Um, but I think that's what made Performax different right from inception. And what continues to make uh, Performax different is the idea that it's a consumer first brand, we're listening to the consumer, and we're trying to uh, understand their pain points and then find solutions for their those pain points. Um, obviously, nowadays, you know, the forums aren't as big. I still frequent Anabolic Minds. I probably check Anabolic Minds, you know, two to three times a week just to kind of see what, you know, what they deem as the educated consumer um, is, you know, hot right now, what people are looking for, um, what type of products uh, people are currently interested in and kind of what they want. So um, while social media has dramatically taken taken that over and that's taken over the attention of the consumer and now you know majority of consumers are you know frequent facebook and uh and um instagram our true demographic of the educated consumer still falls within the forums um now we aren't as a team as active on those forums as, as we used to be and essentially what we've done is we've created a um and basically an ambassador program. And in that ambassador program, we have um, something like 300 to 500 um, ambassadors. Um, and 
with that, that's like our new direct connection to the consumer. Because not only are they um, like diehard Performax fans, they also, you know, are the consumer at the end of the day. So that's a really cool tool that we have to use. And obviously it benefits the brand, you know, twofold. Not only do we have these, you know, diehard Performax fans that understand what we're trying to do, understand the brand vision, understand the quality that we bring to the market. We also kind of get to use them as kind of test subjects or um, what would be the word kind of test groups to find out, you know, what does the end consumer really want? And then we can start to formulate towards that. So that's always been a really, really big point of Performax. What makes Performax different is we're definitely a consumer first brand. We're making products for the consumer. We're making products so that, you know, we can help the end consumer perform to their max. Um, And it's just been a transition to now, where do we get to interact with that consumer? For a long time, you know, I was on the forum since I think 2006. So what is that, 12 years? and I still am on the forums. Um, for a long time, we got it through the forums. Uh, attention has transferred over to social, and so we built that ambassador, uh, that ambassador team, and used basically a Facebook group to interact with them on a day-to-day basis and find out, you know, as the end consumer, what are what do they really want, and then doing our best to to you know create exactly what they're looking for, because um, again, you know, that's the end goal is is making product um, that people actually want. Is there anything you want to add to that, Derek? Uh, no, I think you nailed it on the head. Perfect. So um, from there, just as we always do, we'll jump into um, some Q and A. Uh, do you have questions from the consumer or any, yeah, anybody? Yeah, we do. Questions? And actually, before I get to these, um, just uh, curious what you guys are thinking about our podcast so far. If you guys have any experiences with Performax, please feel free to share them with us in the comments. Uh, any kind of new products you guys have always been kind of hoping to see in the market, maybe you haven't found, or you know, maybe something that we can fill a need for. Just uh, let us know. Um, and to jump in on that, you know, even if you haven't had experience with Performax, I mean, if you if you made it this far into the podcast, um, there's some level of interest. So we definitely like to hear from you, and definitely would appreciate your feedback. Um, it'll definitely you know allow us to produce product. Um, you know, that people actually want. So if you guys do have any feedback on a certain product you're looking for, any uh, you know specific flavors of certain products or SKUs that we could do, um, again, we're a consumer first brand. So if you guys, um, you know, can, can let us know, then we're gonna do our best uh, to apply that to the business. Absolutely, as our products continue to get more popular and things like that, we're adding flavors. Obviously, Hypermax just uh, released a new flavor as well, and we tend to do that with other products as well going forward. Um, but yeah, Aaron, her first question today is, um, how do you feel the industry has changed over the last decade? I think over the last decade, the average consumer has become a lot more intelligent. I think a long time ago, um, you know, like 10 years ago, um, the average consumer, um, I wasn't say, wouldn't say fishing for as much information, but they just, yeah, they just weren't. They, they, they weren't at the level of demanding things from the brands. I think nowadays the end consumer demands a level of transparency, demands a level of quality, demands a level of you know um, formulation um, from these companies. And, and I think it's really cool to see because I, I honestly feel like a lot of the industry has leveled up. And 
the way that you see that most appropriately is when you start to see legacy brands um, that have been around for 20 or 30 years completely transition um, how they put out product, how they formulate, what their focus is. Um, I mean, without naming names, going from a massive, you know, like 22 gram scoop where 10 of it was maltodextrin and um, it's a massive proprietary blend of, you know, 70 different ingredients. Um, I guess I can name names like a no explode <laughs> to, to now, you know, similar style companies, you know, going to a transparent label, showing exactly how much of each ingredient is in there um, and trying to make, you know, efficacious doses uh, uh, or using efficacious doses of ingredients. And I honestly think that's all from consumer demand. I think the consumer has, has made that happen and they're just not willing to, um, you know, purchase a product that doesn't provide that. And I mean, at the end of the day, um, as you know, people have heard before, like every time you spend money on a product, you're voting for what that product represents. And I honestly feel that, you know, as of late, consumers are voting less for um, kitchen sink, proprietary formulations, um, and they're voting far more for clinically proven um, efficacious doses that uh, are open label. And I think that's really cool. I think um, uh, I think the industry is definitely um, changed for the better. Another really cool thing when we talk about innovation, I think a lot of people when they think of innovation, they think about um, ingredients, right? You hear innovation, what's the first thing you think about? Ingredient. Well, there's been a lot of really cool ways that uh, we've innovated more so than a specific ingredient or a new ingredient. And one of the ways that really sticks out to me is flavoring. I mean, the types of flavors that they have now, the types of um, you know uh, licensings that have happened or even not licensings that haven't happened, but very similar style flavors that people are going after, sour gummy worms, um, cotton candy, things like that. I mean, that's really innovative if you looked at what was happening 10 years ago. What was happening 10 years ago is fruit punch, blue raz, and grape. That's it, right? And then you really want to go be edgy, you come out with a lemon lime, something like that. Like that's what was, that was the menu. That was the flavor options. Um, so yeah, there has definitely been some innovation and in not only the types of flavors um, that we're using in terms of, you know, these cool kind of candy-like flavors and things like that, but also the effort and um, uh, research and development that goes into actually creating some really, really good tasting flavors. I'm, I'm sure you remember, Derek, it used to be like, uh, how, how do they say that? If, uh, you know, who the, who the fuck cares about how it tastes, bro? It's a pre-workout. Yeah. Just get it down. You're not taking it for the taste. You're taking it, you know, to get jacked. And it's like now, days. yeah, it's like now that, no, that's not the case. It's like, no, this, this has to taste good. Yeah. And in, in, in most cases it does taste good because again, the consumer voted with their dollar and said, we want pre-workouts to taste better. You know, the companies went back to the drawing board. There was that uh, friendly competition between companies, you know, who can come out with a cooler flavor, who can make that flavor better. And that push between the company, um, the companies to come out with better and more innovative flavors uh, ultimately came from the push from the consumer to demand that from us. Um, so I think those are probably the two largest changes that I could pull out uh, for the last 10 years. 
Um, you know, do you want to kind of double down to either one of those points or point out, you know, any other points that you've noticed in the last 10 years? Yeah, honestly, I mean, those are two very positive points and things that, uh, I completely agree with. I do see other aspects to it though. Um, the last 10 years, it almost seems like it's popular to start brands. It's not necessarily for the right reasons. Uh, you see brands pop up all the time and they're, you know, here and gone. Uh, a lot of them are social media driven and they're not actually formulation driven or, uh, you know, just really a testament to like why Performax and brands like us are needed. So people can have these great experiences with the right types of brands. And I do think to your point that people are so educated, they can see through that, but it is kind of funny to see some things pop up out of nowhere and have influencers that maybe try to support it and, you know, make it just some kind of cash cow and then they're gone. Whereas, you know, we're in it for the long haul and there's others like us as well, of course. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, uh, a way to, um, wrap that up in a tight little neat package is the barrier to entry to start a supplement company is insanely low now. And that wasn't how it was 10 years ago. And that all comes back to, um, contract manufacturers, um, these basically boutique contract manufacturers that can do runs in really, really low amounts um, to where with a few thousand dollars, you can kind of start your own brand. And then even worse and probably more common is the private label house blend. It's already done. It's already flavored. It's ready to go. It's sitting on the shelf. Send your label. We'll wrap it up and we'll send it out to you. Um, and so what that means is the barrier to entry is is much, much lower. Um to even, you know, go a little bit further than that, there was, you know, in the same way that 10 years ago, there weren't any influencers, there aren't, weren't any influencer brands. And so now you get these people that have a little bit of a following, don't know a damn thing about supplements, don't have any experience in the industry, have a little bit of money and go, you know what? Oh, I can go to blah, 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 labs or blah, 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 nutraceuticals or blah, 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 manufacturing, throw them a few thousand dollars. Now I have my own company, you know, make sure you add CEO in your description on Instagram. And um, you've literally just started a supplement brand and then you can just shuck it off to all the people that are following you and um, make some money. There's literally zero care what's uh, on what's in the product. Um, there's zero care if you're actually giving um, these people that are buying your product a good product or not. Um, you've just, you know, started a business and that barrier to entry, um, uh, you know, is why. Uh, we see a, a massive influx in brands just popping up. And I just don't think people realize how hard it is to really build a true brand that has longevity. I mean, think about how many massive athletes in bodybuilding you've seen, including Arnold Schwarzenegger himself, <laughs> try to make a brand and fail. Right. And is it because they're leveraging their following and leveraging their... Um, likeness to sell product and lacking the actual true intention to make really good product to benefit the end consumer. And just going back to what we were talking about before, the end consumer votes and they voted, I don't want your crap product. I don't care how good you're, you know, how big you are, you know, make a, make a movie. Don't make a pre-workout, yeah. you know, I and, you, uh, Arnold, but that's your, your Mr. Olympia. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think that's another massive change is that, um, the barrier to entry to create a supplement company is incredibly low. You get a massive influx of 
uh, subpar companies coming into the market and um, to counterbalance that, the consumer is far more educated. So those companies tend to go out of business yeah. uh, relatively. Their their life cycles is is relatively short. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be pretty curious. It's probably a year or two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the next question is about the uh, new Hypermax Extreme. So it's a one or two scoop serving. Question is, if you take one scoop, are you still getting enough efficacious dosing compared to two? Okay, so the the traditional train of thought is no, right? So it's like if you had a you know two scoops and two scoops is max dosage. If you're taking half that, then you're getting half of what you know you should really should get. That's not necessarily true. Um, so kind of to, to to kind of dive into that. Um, one scoop of um, Hypermax contains uh, three grams of citrulline. Um, now, three grams of citrulline is actually clinically proven to increase performance and endurance. A lot of the studies that uh, people reference where they say six grams, the study itself, if you actually look at it, it's six grams of citrulline malate. Most of the time when you have citrulline malate, it's a one-to-one -one ratio of three grams citrulline to, th to three grams of uh, uh, malic acid. So actually... There's quite a few studies um, that show that three grams of citrulline increased nitric oxide production. Um, I think it was actually a decrease in uh, blood pressure um, that you could probably attribute to either uh, endothelial function, uh, vasodilation, or increase in nitric oxide production. Um, you know, increase in performance um, and things like that. And so, yeah, there's several studies that show three grams of citrulline, pure citrulline, can increase performance endurance, and um, you can infer that it would increase uh, nitric oxide production. Um, and I think the idea that's like, oh, we need to have six comes from people inaccurately quoting studies where they're actually talking about citrulline malate. Um, now, to kind of go further than that, that's not to say six grams of pure citrulline is, isn't more effective because um, there's also studies to up to eight to 12 grams of citrulline that show increases in performance. Um, so I would say three grams uh, is an effective dose, um, but it might not be the ceiling of the highest you could take. So that's kind of where you stand. Um, the next ingredient would be 1.6 grams beta-alanine. Okay, that's half the clinical dose. But if you reference the studies, there is no study that took one bolus dose of beta-alanine. Uh, all the studies showed that, or all the studies were conducted in a fashion where they took 1.6 grams either two to three times per day. So if you were actually trying to mimic those results of that study more efficiently, you wouldn't take 3.2 grams in one shot. You would actually take 1.6 grams twice a day. So while it's slightly inconvenient that you're not getting that full dose uh, in one shot, by taking Hypermax at one scoop, you're getting that one single dose of 8-alanine and you just need to make sure that you take 1.6 grams later in the day and arguably that might even be more effective than that one bolus dose. So we're still in a really good position with that one scoop. Um, the next one up would be 1.25 grams of betaine and hydros. We've all seen the study, I think it was the Baylor University that showed 2.5 grams, increased lean body mass by something like 5.6 pounds, decreased fat mass. And so everyone goes, okay, it has to be two and a half grams. Read study, it's 1.25 grams twice per day. So it's that same exact uh, train of thought with beta alanine. Uh, you actually mimic the study a, a bit better if you take 1.25 grams pre-workout and then 1.25 grams later in the day. So while, again, it's not necessarily ideal because you're not getting that full clinical dose, um, you are still getting an effective dose and um, 
as long as you supplement with an extra 1.25 grams later in the day. Betaine and hydros is, is actually naturally occurring in a lot of um, things that we consume, you know, throughout the day. So there's a good chance that you might even be getting that one, that additional 1.25 grams just through dietary sources alone. Uh, jumping back to beta alanine, one thing that we didn't touch on too, or I didn't touch on, was the idea that basically the way that beta alanine works is by in, uh, creating what's called carnosine saturation, where um, you consume it over an extended period of time, it builds up into the system. And then you're looking to maintain that saturation, you know, to buffer the hydrogen ions, to buffer lactic acid, yada, yada, yada. So with that said, while 3.2 grams was the dose used in the study, it's very, very likely that if you've consumed products that contain beta-alanine for an extended period of time, just like most of us who have taken pre-workout, we've probably taken beta-alanine for over a year. Yep. There's a good chance you don't even need the 3.2 grams in the first place. There's a good chance that you've already reached carnitine, carnitine saturation. And that 1.6 grams arguably would allow you to maintain that carnitine saturation regardless. So if you were, didn't take any beta-alanine forever, right, never taken it, and you wanted to start taking it, you'd want to take 3.2 grams, and you actually wouldn't get a benefit for something like over eight weeks. That's how long it takes to build up uh, enough carnosine to buffer lactic acid. However, like the normal consumer, like myself, I've been taking beta-alanine for two to three years. Do I really need that 3.2 gram dose to maintain carnosine saturation? I'd argue no. So in that case, then the 1.6 grams is actually probably an effective dose to maintain that. Um, moving down the line, you know, something like agmatine sulfate, for sure, I'd like to see it at a gram um, so that, you know, two scoops would probably be better. Uh, but that's not to say that 500 milligrams also would increase, um, you know, nitric oxide production um, and have some sort of performance enhancing benefit. Also, when you think about, you know, one gram of agmatine, you're thinking about it as one single ingredient. Um, you know, once you take into account that you also have that three grams of citrulline that promotes nitric oxide production, that 500 milligrams of agmatine will probably have a synergistic effect and still be, you know, an efficient dose. Um, so I could continue to go down the line. I mean, the other ones would be 200 milligrams caffeine. That's a pretty darn good dose. Um, you know, 30 milligrams of hornine. That's arguably, you know, what most people use. Um, you know, one milligram alpha yohimbine. That's, you know, pretty good, good dose. Um, so yeah, if you really break down the formula, I think one scoop is definitely an effective dose. Um, and I think what happens is most people go, oh no, you know, you have to have two scoops. You're only getting half of the, the clinical dosages. Um, I think, you know, it, it takes a little bit more of, of diving deep into the science of some of these ingredients, the studies used, and not just taking what you've heard someone else say on social um, like, no, it has to have six grams of citrulline or it sucks. Well, you know, do some of the research yourself and, and kind of look a little bit deeper into this because, um, yeah, I, I definitely believe one scoop is sufficient and, you know, will definitely yield performance enhancing benefits. Um, and I think two scoops will double it. Yeah. Now I can only assume somebody would argue to want to take one if they're maybe stimulant sensitive. Maybe that would be why. Or extending the life of your pre-workout to 40 workouts no yeah and exa so. no, exactly i think that is what the only reason that someone would want to take one scoop is they just want to have that 200 milligrams caffeine and, right. and 400 milligrams be too much and so i think the point that i really went a little deeper on this question than maybe even necessary was to show you even if you're a stim sensitive person and you can only handle 200 milligrams caffeine that doesn't mean that the rest of the formulation isn't sufficient you know i've i feel like i've displayed pretty well that 
even at one scoop. The rest of the formulation is sufficient for performance enhancement mm -hmm. and increasing nitric oxide production, pumps, um, the whole nine, and you get to be in a caffeine content of 200 milligrams where you might feel more comfortable with that dose. Yeah, I've personally used one scoop myself and I love it. So usually if it's like later in the day, maybe early afternoon, you're just worried about nighttime sleep or something like that. Um, it was extremely effective. We also have Vasomax if there's a stackable interest, anybody wanting additional pumps. Yeah, that's actually a really good point too, is um, if you do just take one scoop and you're concerned about the performance enhancing benefits and nitric oxide production, that's where Vasomax will come in very, very efficiently. Um, you're not gonna add any more caffeine. You're not gonna get any more extra stimulation, You, but you will get a whole host of uh, pump enhancing and um, nootropic benefits. Um, but you're staying within that caffeine content you like to be at. Right. Uh, last question we have for today, uh, differences in proteins. Obviously there's concentrates, isolates, blends, casein proteins. Um, this person's just wondering, you know, what your take on the differences are and who might need what. Um, that would be like super uh, involved. Um, so instead of basically going through the differences of proteins, which could take, you know, hours uh, to really dive deep into each individual one. Um, you know, what, what we could talk about is the idea that, or the fact that we just are launching our own protein. Um, and so we're launching, uh, you know, um, a protein pretty soon. And um, I think I've said it in the past, maybe not on a podcast, but between, you know, me and you, Derek, and, you know, probably others is, there's not a whole lot of differentiation you can create in a protein other than the protein source itself. So you could have an isolate, you could have a concentrate, you could have a micellar casein, you could have a milk protein isolate, um, and they all have their varying benefits and uh, detriments, or maybe not detriments, but you know differences. So you know a whey protein isolate is going to be um, quote unquote the cleanest, meaning it has the least amount of carbs, has the least amount of fat, and by majority, uh, um, you know, means it's all the lactose has been removed. So if you have any problem with digestion or lactose intolerance or anything like that, that would be the protein for you. Um, pro a whey protein concentrate, um, as long as it's a WPC 80, which basically means whey protein concentrate standardized 80% protein, it's a, it should be a pretty quality protein. Now it's going to have more carbs. It's going to have a, a, a little bit more fat. Um, it also arguably has um, some other naturally occurring growth factors that would get removed um, from the side of the isolate um, that kind of get filtered out. Um, but whey protein concentrate might not digest quite as quickly as the isolate. It'll have a bit more lactose. So if you're lactose intolerant, um, it's going to kind of tear up your stomach. Um, but the one thing about a whey protein concentrate is you, you must make sure that is a WPC 80. Anything less than that, um, you start to get way too much carbs, way too much fat, way too much basically byproduct. Um, and so, yeah, that would be the concentrate side. The micellar casein, casein is a, a very slow absorbing uh, protein. Um, it can basically, what it does is when you consume it, it forms kind of like a gel block in the stomach and that uh, limits the amount of surface area. So it, it's digested at a slower rate and it can last in the system or you know keep amino acid you know uh, levels uh, elevated for um, you know like six to eight hours. So that's a really good one to take uh, before bed. Uh, milk protein isolate is basically exactly what it sounds. 
It's protein isolated from milk. Um, I believe milk has a concentration of, I think it's 80% casein, 20% whey. I might have those mixed, but I believe that's what it is. Um, so that's kind of like what you would consider the natural like mother's ratio or like, you know, Mother Earth's ratio of protein is what you would find in milk, which is a combination of a slower acting uh, protein in casein and a faster acting protein uh, in, in, uh, in whey. Um, and yeah, I think that would cover, you know, the, the different types. And I think what people choose uh, kind of depends on um, what you're looking for, you know, um, if, if you don't do well with lactose and you're probably going to want a whey protein isolate. If you do fine with lactose and doesn't tear up your stomach, you'd probably be fine getting a whey protein concentrate because it's just going to be cheaper. So you're not going to have to spend so much. If you're looking for a protein that uh, you could take before bed um, that will keep, you know, you in a quote unquote uh, or going into a quote unquote catabolic state and increase uh, amino acid levels for an extended period of time, you want a micellar casein. So I think they all have their, their position and their value. It's just kind of finding out what, you know, what works for you. Um, now for us, obviously we're launching a protein. Um, we haven't yet um, talked about which one we used or if we're using a combination or anything like that. We haven't let the cat out of the bag. Um, but the main thing is, is that with these proteins, with those four kind of broken down, there's not gonna be a lot of innovation, no matter what a, a brand tells you, like, oh yeah, we have this sick new ingredient that does this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, the only reason you're taking protein is to supplement your protein intake. You're, you just yeah. need more protein. You have you have protein requirements that you, as an athlete, you're gonna need, right? So let's call it one gram per pound of body weight. So if you're 250 pounds, you might wanna be hitting 250 pounds uh, or 250 grams of protein. Um, these bells and whistles that get thrown onto it, it's, it's marketing gimmick. You don't, there's, there, you wouldn't need anything extra than that because all you're trying to do is literally supplement your, uh, your protein, uh, requirements. Something like a pre-workout is completely different. You're trying to create a, an effect. You're trying to elicit a feeling and the way that you do that can be manipulated by the ingredients you use, the dosages you use, whether you can find a new ingredient, yada, yada, yada. Um, but that's, uh, like an effect you're trying to, um, create. Whereas protein, you're literally just trying to meet the the daily requirements. Um, and so that just breeds an environment where there's not going to be a massive amount of innovation. Um, and there really doesn't need to be. It's right. just protein, you know? Exactly. So. Yeah, I think it, it, it is overcomplicated in such a, a simple category. Um, I mean, there might be different, you know, time releasings. And you can use specific ones at specific times if you wanted to. But for the most part you can almost use the same type at any point in the day and you're still going to yield benefits from it. Yeah, exactly. It's like micellar casein might be better before bed, but if you had a weight concentrate, do you lose all your gains? No. No. You know, <laughs> so it's like at the end of the day, you need to hit a certain amount of protein per day. As long as you're hitting that, um, you know, I wouldn't be splitting hairs or thinking that you're missing out on something. Right, absolutely. Well, that was the only other question we had for today, Aaron. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening in. Um, as we kind of touched on before the Q&A, if you guys have anything that you'd like us to answer, um, if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, um, any suggestions to the brand, uh, to the products, uh, flavors you might want to see. Um, if you've never heard of Performax and you just want to get you know more detail about who we are and what we do, um, any of those things, definitely um, you know reach out, let us know whether that's through Instagram whether that's through uh, Facebook, 
Um, you can email cs at performaxlabs.com. Um, just let us know what you guys are thinking, what you want to see, what you want to hear, what products you want. And um, obviously, like like we've harped on, being a consumer first brand, that, that means a lot to us. So appreciate you guys listening in, and I hope you uh, tune into the next episode.